27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Please be seated. And let's bow our heads as we approach the holy text. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that is ours to be here, worshiping with your people. We thank you for the hymns that we've been able to sing of praise to you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to give back to you a small portion of what you have given to us. Thank you for the privilege of confessing our sins and acknowledging that we need you and hearing those good words of forgiveness. Thank you for the communion table that is to come and the fellowship there. Thank you for the rest of the day afterwards. But right now, Lord, we ask for your help as we engage with this important subject of your sovereignty and how you operate in the lives of all people everywhere. So by your Holy Spirit's help, uh, let us, Lord, uh, learn, be convicted, be encouraged, whatever you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the God we've been talking about. Not a little God, but a big God. Not one God of many gods, but the only true God. And we're spending time, these ten weeks, looking at God's sovereignty. Uh, We need this so badly. Sometimes I look at the newspaper and I think that whoever's picture is there in the newspaper is the sovereign over my life. Or we go to work or we live in this world and we look at the stock market, we think those are the sovereign things and that's the boss and that's what's going to rule us. Or we look at our situation, our health or our lack of health, and we say that's really God, but it's not There's one God, one true God who we worship and look at. And so this morning we're looking at God in the way he operates. I knew a couple one time who said, and they were describing how how things worked within their family. And um, the man would say, I'm strategy, she's operations. And that's kind of how they got it done. One was the strategy One was the operations. Uh, You need that at your workplace. You've got to have some strategy. You've got to have some operations getting it done. If all you have is strategy and no operations, 
uh, you just have daydreams and emptiness and frustration ultimately. Uh, If you have no strategy but operations, that's what we call the rat race. And that's going nowhere, and that's despair itself. And so uh, every, it's just the way God designed it. It's a rule for the world. Strategy, a plan, and operations to get it done. Now with God, God is both strategy and operations. We've been talking the last several weeks about God and the strategy side. God choosing to create. God choosing to save. God choosing to set up structures about how the world uh, will, will run. But God did not just create the world, wind it up like a watchmaker, and then let it go and just let it run itself. God is not just strategy, but God is operations. God is at work in our lives and in his world every day. And so as we look at God, we begin to think about God as he operates. How does God operate? And to start with people. How does God operate with the people in this world? How is God's interaction with people? Uh, We're going to look at how God deals uh, with, with both groups of people. Now, our world likes to divide people into groups. Oh, you are this, so that's your group. This is this, this is your group. You check these boxes, this is your group, this is your group. And and, and there's this massive way that the world divides people and is fighting to to put people into groups. Um, Ultimately, and on Judgment Day, there are two groups of people, and that's it. There are the saved and the lost. There are the forgiven and the not forgiven. There are the spiritually alive and the spiritually dead. There are the friends of God and the enemies of God. There are the sheep and the goats. There are the heaven-bound and the hell-bound. There are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those whose names are not on those pages. When I was little, uh, maybe uh, you sang a song when you were little that we used to sing. Those Sunday school teachers really had us singing songs, and, and sometimes that's what has stuck. That we would sing this little child song, one door and only one, yet its sides are two, inside and outside, on which side are you? One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside, on which side are you? Two kinds of people in the world. Two kinds. And yet you say, well, does God work with only his people, the ones on the inside? Does God have nothing to do with those on the outside? Or does God only work with those on the outside and not anything to do with those on the inside? And the answer is God's operation in this world with people, is with every single person. Whether you are saved or lost, God is present and God deals with you. And God influences you and God exerts uh, God's presence with you. So we're following uh, A.W. Pink's book, a little bit his outline, in how we're approaching this series. 
and he has a whole chapter on God's operations with people, God's modus operandi, God's method of operating. And we're, we're paying a little bit of attention to that. Now, he talks first in that chapter, he leans on how God deals with Christians. And then he goes to how God deals with the enemies of God, the non-Christians. Uh, we've reversed those so we can lead into the table. So let's, let's, get the, let's get the tougher one out of the way first, but it's just as important. What does God do? How does God exert influence on non-Christian people? The first thing of four, God exerts upon the wicked a restraining influence. Wicked people are prevented from what they are naturally inclined to do. You say, that person's really bad. They've done some really bad things, some horrid things. Um, What would they have done without God's restraint? God restrains the wicked. Biblical examples. Genesis chapter 20. Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took Abraham's wife Sarah to be his own wife. Abraham goes into this country and he's got this wife who's a beautiful wife. And in those days, they, they uh, uh, sadly very much mistreated their, their women and they, they took them and, and Abraham loved Sarah. And he didn't want to be killed. He didn't want, and, and he and Sarah came up with this plan. All right, we'll just say that you're my sister. And this king said, oh, sister, fair game. And he took her. But he didn't consummate that, what he would have called a marriage. He was restrained. Uh, Listen to the words as I read them. Genesis 20, verses 2 through 7. Abraham said of his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech the king sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she's a man's wife. And God honors that husband and wife marriage. Don't we know, God says, whom God has put together, let no one divide asunder. And he said, you're a dead man. You took his wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Get that point. It was God who took this non-Christian, but he kept that non-Christian. He restrained that evil. It was I who kept you, God said. Now then return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he'll pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God's way, one way that God works with non-Christians is to restrain evil. Joseph's brothers, who we will return to in this sermon, before they threw Joseph in the pit, their plan was just simply to kill him. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 37, 18, that that's what they were going to do. But God restrained them from killing him. God had another plan for the saving of the whole world, and God stopped what they wanted to do. God restrains evil in the life of unbelievers. Listen to this, Exodus uh, 34, verse 24. 
God says, for I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. He's saying, I'm going to take you in, I'm going to give you this land, but three times a year I want you to come and worship me. But don't worry. The question is, if I go, my kids are gone, my property is gone, my land is gone. If I go, he says, don't worry. When you're obeying me, I'm going to restrain the land around you from the evil of taking your land. God restrains the hearts of people. uh, And he he restrains sin, even in unbelievers. Second thing, how God works with unbelievers is this. God exerts a softening influence, making them act contrary to their natural inclinations. Not only does he stop wicked people, enemies of his, from doing all the evil that they want to do, he even sometimes has them do good things. And that's God working on their heart. One example, Pharaoh's daughter and her treatment of Moses when he was found in the bulrushes. Another one, Esau, who had sworn to kill Jacob. Esau was godless. He didn't care about the blessing. He didn't care about the birthright. And he had sworn when Jacob stole those things, he said, when I see him, I'll kill him. And then we see Jacob going back into the land and Esau uh, going to meet him. And Jacob is petrified. He splits his family into these groups. He says, they can slaughter them first if they're going to do it. Then they'll get to them and then I'll find out what they're doing. He's terrified. What did God do in Esau's heart when Esau finally met Jacob? Genesis 33, verse 4. When he finally met him, he fell on his neck and kissed him. Similarly, King Ahab had sworn to kill Elijah. He even took an oath in 1 Kings 18. I will kill that Elijah who brought this on the land when I find him. He found Elijah. And what did he do? He let Elijah set up that conference up on the mountain and call the people there. He did the opposite. He did a good thing. Daniel and his three companions, when they were taken into captivity, didn't want to eat the world's food. Uh, They were slaves. All these young men had to follow along with the protocol. But what did God do when Daniel said, along with his, his friends, we don't want to eat the king's meat, what happened? Well, here's what happened. Daniel 1, 8 and 9. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And now this is the line we're talking about for this sermon. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God moves people who don't love God to do godly things. God's operation in the world doesn't just include his Christians. It includes the non-Christians as well. Last one, I think, of the, in, in this point. Cyrus, the king of Persia. Ezra 1, 1 and 2. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, 
The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Cyrus was not a Christian. Cyrus was not a God lover or a God follower. But Cyrus was stirred up in his heart to do godly things. Then one summary verse. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So God does those two things with non-believers. What else does he do as he operates and controls and is sovereign in unbelievers? Well, he does something else. God exerts a directing influence so that good results from their intended evil. Sometimes he allows their sin, uses their sin, and they do wicked things, and we say, this is terrible. And then we look back and we say, no, this was good. (laughs) You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God can use that evil for good things, for his purposes. Pagan kings who used to bring God's own people back to him. Isaiah 10, 5 through 7. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he doesn't so intend it. The king of of Assyria isn't saying, I'm going to be God's vessel in this. He's just being a wicked king, but he is God's vessel. He doesn't do it to be God's vessel, but God uses even the wickedness in wicked people to accomplish God's good purposes. Didn't I just pray for Taiwan? There's a lot of evil and wickedness and power struggles and people that want so much. Well, God, you can work in that. God, you can take their evil things and you can bring glory to yourself and people can trust in you. God does that. One of my professors in seminary used to say, God is so big and God is so strong and God is so mighty and God is so powerful and holy that God can handle sin for his glory without getting his hands dirty. That is almost incomprehensible, but God does that. Lastly, how does God operate with unsafe people at times. He hardens the hearts of wicked people and blinds their minds. Ooh. I'll read the paragraph from Pink on this one. He said, uh, he said God hardens men's hearts. God blinds men's minds. Yes, so scripture represents him. In developing this theme on the sovereignty of God in operation, we recognize that we have now reached its most solemn aspect of all, and that here especially we need to keep very close indeed to the words of Holy Writ. God forbid that we should go one fraction further than his word goes, but may he give us grace to go as far as his word goes. It is true that secret things belong to the Lord, but it is also true that those things which are revealed in Scripture belong unto us and our children. And God is the one. Didn't we just sing it and mean it? 
He can create and he can destroy. We're talking about a big God, big God. And God sometimes does this. Psalm 105, 25, talking about uh, the children of Israel in, 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 in Egypt. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. What does it say? He turned their hearts. God is in the hearts of the unbelievers as well. Exodus 44, verse 21. I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall not let the people go. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then Romans talks about that. Romans 9, 17 and 18. Here's a quote. This is scripture. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. We are talking about a big God, God who deals with every single person, deals with the saved, deals with the lost, but God is the one who does the work. Joshua 11, 19 and 20, quote, There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. I don't want to go any farther than that, but it's there in Scripture. We've got to go there. John 12, 37 through 40. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is a mystery. This is big. Uh, think too hard about this, and it could be hard for you. So don't overthink it, but accept what God says in his word. This is how God operates, and we just say, whatever God does is right, and we'll, we'll maybe understand it later, or maybe we won't understand it even later, and it doesn't matter. But God is God. That's the point I'm trying to make. God is God. And God moves believers. God moves unbelievers. And God works in the hearts of all people. You can't say, I, I knew a guy one time who said, he said, he, he, he was not, not going to become a church member. He didn't want to become a member of that church. It's a big church, and, and he, he just didn't care for the pastor of that big church. And I said, why aren't you going to become a member? He said, I don't want to let that pastor so-and-so's hands get around my neck. <laughs> I think some people don't want to uh, become Christians because they don't want the influence that God is going to have on their lives. Uh, they understand that really being a Christian is to submit to God and to do God's work. Uh, newsflash, even if you're not a Christian, God is in charge of your life. Better to just become a Christian and have that relationship with God than an adversarial relationship with God.
Matthew 10.28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God's dealing just briefly with non-believers. Check through scripture, check through history, check what you know about God, and you can see it all to be true and more. So, whoo, good part now. If you're a Christian, this is a great part. That part's good because it's all good. If it's in the Bible, it's good. But this is the more palatable stuff. That was the the medicine. Here comes the spoonful of sugar to help it all go down. Listen to this. God's method of dealing with the righteous. First of all, and we covered this two weeks ago, God exerts a quickening influence or power. God saves his people. God is the one who gives you the inclination, and you come, and God calls you and draws you and saves you. A couple of verses. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given us all of these things. He's the one who gave it. You didn't seek until you found it. Uh, Whatever seeking you might have done is even God putting the desire to seek in you, and that was part of his process in saving you. God saved you from beginning to end. God is the one in charge of your salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you've been saved. So the first thing that God does with his people is to save them. Second thing, God exerts an energizing influence or power. God gives power, a spiritual power to his Christians. Uh, Something we can't quantify. It's a different kind of, of power than the world would know or understand. They were bamboozled by it. Uh, They they wanted to buy it. Remember when when Simon wanted to buy that power from Paul? And Paul said, you perish along with your money. You can't buy this power. This is a power that God gives. A couple of verses. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. He's he's praying for the church, and he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That resurrection power is also a power that God directs toward you, that same power. Later on in Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what some people talk about when they say, ask Jesus into your heart. They're saying, get saved, and that power comes into your heart through faith. Micah 3.8, the old prophet in the Old Testament said, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Last verse for this section, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us 
to his own glory and excellence. So God exerts influence by saving you. God exerts influence in your life by giving you power. And God exerts a directing influence on his people. Uh, God leads us. God directs us. Uh, Don't we even love this uh, verse of scripture that says, thy word have I, no, um, (laughs) that's a good one too. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But the one that talks about thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think of the Old Testament, God's people, the pillar of fire at night, the cloud by day. When the cloud moved, the people moved. If the cloud moved and they say, okay, unpack everything, kids, let's get everything, let's get our campsite set up, let's pack, all of a sudden, oh no, the cloud's moving again. Pack it all up, kids, let's go. They didn't even know, and the scripture says they didn't know if they were going to be in the same place for a month or if they were going to travel every day. When God moved, God led. And God has done that with us in our lives. God is the one we follow, and he gives us a directing influence. That's what he does with his people. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isaiah 26.12. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Last verse in this section. Ezekiel 36, 27. God's promise. He says, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God saves his people. God gives power to his people, and God directs his people. And finally, and maybe in this day and age, this time period, this might be the one we need the most. It's the one I need the most that I think about that that really spoke to my heart, at least, and that is that God is a preserving influence on his people. You need protection. You need protection. You've got to have protection. Somebody to protect you. You cannot protect yourself. You can't protect yourself. You can't guard all your stuff. You can't find the perfect place to put all your money where it won't go uh, potentially all gone. You can't defend yourself. Maybe you can defend yourself against one, maybe against two, depending who they are. Is it a Philadelphia Phillies game with my daughter one time. (laughs) Sarah, she's still a Phillies fan. But back then I was trying to make her a Cardinals fan. And a player named J.D. Drew, who was drafted by the Phillies, but he did not want to play for the Phillies, and so he sat out for a year, got drafted by the Cardinals then. And so those Phillies fans were there with their batteries. They were there with their insults, with their anger. And Sarah was just a little girl. And I was there in my Cardinals hat, and there she was, And we were in right field where J.D. Drew was playing, and this whole row of students behind us, drunken students, by the way, yelling the worst thing. I said, I picked the wrong seats, (laughs) trying to cover her ears and all that stuff. And here they are, J.D. Drew, you're this, J.D. Drew, you're that. And that little girl turned around and said to them, we love J.D. Drew. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. Sarah, I could probably take one of them if they're drunk, but I can't take this whole row of them. Oh, we got to get out of here. 
You can't protect yourself against a mob, against one. You don't know. What are you going to protect yourself? Are you going to protect your health? How are you going to do that? Well, you can take some steps, and you, but you don't know. You need protection. And what does God do for his people? He protects his people. Just a couple of them. Psalm 97.10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 37.28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Psalm 145.20. The Lord preserves all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. One from the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 5. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable uh, and unfolding, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded by God's power. And God takes care of you, and he will take care of you all the way to heaven. Fear not. These are harder times in this country that we've seen. Other people in other places have seen times that are harder than we'll ever see. More and more people are against God and against Christians, and they don't like that Christian voice. And you can see it. Just look at the news and see what's happening. Fear not. God will guard you. God will take care of you. Uh, there, is, there is God's influence and God's hand and God's restraint. Book of Acts, he lets Peter out of jail. Boy, the door opens, the chains drop off, he walks right out. Later on, Peter dies for for Christ. And God was present in both circumstances, and it was God's will both times. And God will protect you and take care of you. And when it's time for you to go and say goodbye on this earth, there's a place that he's prepared for you where, where you're going. God takes care of his people. God protects and preserves them. Application. Two applications, and then we'll go to the table. One, first one, this is for those of you who are on the, uh, the side that's not God's side. See, I'm not God's enemy. Well, God's your enemy. Well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I'm an agnostic. I don't know if God exists. Well, God knows you exist. And I would say, be God's friend and not God's enemy. Now is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. So if you're pretending with this religious thing, or if you're on the fence, respond positively to what God says in his word. As I said before, God is going to work in your life anyway, saved or lost. Uh, You will acknowledge his lordship one day. Uh, Every knee will bow before God one day. Some will bow, and they'll cast their crowns at his feet, and they'll praise him forever and ever. Others will bow on their way to an eternity without Christ, a.k.a. hell. Get right with God. If you're not right with God, get right with God. Acknowledge that you are out of sorts with the Lord. Repent of your sins. 
come to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to, 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 to pay for your sins. Uh, he said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. How does that fit with this whole uh, sovereignty thing? Well, you tell me and we'll both know. I don't know. All I know is God saves. And I also know this. You're responsible to respond positively to the gospel. And now this last part for the Christian, for the elect, the redeemed, the saved. Um, Acknowledge God for the ways he's worked and is working in your life. The saving call that he placed on your life. The spiritual power that he's given to you to join him in his work to stand for him. The way you can trust him. uh, The way that he's directing your steps and his preservation. So you're going to see a miraculous thing, maybe. Maybe you're going to see something uh, that, that, that is uh, an unheard of thing. And that is, you're going to see a 10-year-old and a 60-year-old <laughs> memorize a 50-verse psalm. So part of Caleb's chess class has been, last year I had him memorizing poems, like if you think you're beaten, you are, and those types of things. This year I said, well, let's, you know, memorizing poems is a good thing, but memorizing scripture, that's even better. So then I said, well, let's do it this way. You come with a couple verses, and if you beat me, I'll, I'll memorize those, and I'll come with a couple verses, and if I beat you, I'll memorize those, or have you memorize those. Then I thought, why should memorizing Scripture be a punishment? So now we're, we're going to try. We're going to try, aren't we, Caleb? Caleb can, I, I'd put my money on Caleb if you had to pick one of us, because 50 verses for a 60-year-old brain, that's going to be tough. But Psalm 18 But the first three verses that we memorized last week, that's where we're closing. We're looking at God, and that that fits so much with this chapter right here. So Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. Think about how God deals with his people. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. That is God's saving people. God entering a relationship with his people. God saved you so you could have a personal relationship with him. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Next, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That is God directing you, reminding you that there's a place you can run during the hard times, God protecting and preserving you. This is God's dealing with God's people. This is how God deals with you, Christian. And then that psalmist says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. So I'll just wrap it up. I didn't write down how I was going to wrap it up. I was going to see how it went right here. And I was going to look and and, and figure that out, and I've got to figure it out. Here's the wrap-up. You're a Christian. God's called you if you're a Christian. God has called you to do something, uh, to, to live a life for him. It doesn't have to be big and dramatic and write books about it. Uh, God likes us to live quietly and work with our hands, but you are salt and light. You're placed where you are. God made you exactly who you are with the exact circumstances you are at the exact age you are. I can't jump into a time machine myself and go back. I wish I could because there's so many not just days or moments within days, but so many long periods in the calendar where I took my eye off the ball and lost the plot. And I wish I could go back 
not just, I'll take one day if I can, Lord, but I can't. But I would take one calendar period just to think things and communicate things better and do things. I can't. But God has put me where I am now. And I want to be who I am now, living for God now. God saved me in the past. God did use uh, in the past. But right now, who am I now? And what does God have for me now? Is God going to give me power now to, to, to witness for him, uh, courage to, to, to speak for him, to live for him when it's hard? Yeah. Yeah, that's biblical. And God's going to keep directing me now. It's not over. It might be the third period like of a hockey game and not even the second half anymore. Used to give men this book, Second Wind for the Second Half, you know, as they were contemplating the second half of their lives. But then you get to it and you go, no, this is the fourth quarter or the third period. You know what? God still directs. God still directs. God still is there. And God is still going to preserve. And right now, I think probably the thing a lot of us are worried about um, would be, um, well, for a while it was all health, health, health stuff. Maybe we're worried about that. But worried about finances and where is this world going? Big sale at ShopRite. $2 for something I used to get on sale for 50 cents and buy a regular price for a dollar. Now it's a big sale for $2. How's this going to stretch, Lord? What are you going to do? Are you going to take care of us? Are you going to feed us? Well, don't we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. God will take care of his people. God will take care of you. God loves you. He didn't call you to drop you. He called you to take care of you and to preserve you all the way to heaven. Part of what we get to do all the way to heaven is engage in his word, pray to him. Boy, that's free. No charge for reading the Bible, right? They don't, it's not charging money yet for that. That's a good thing to do for free. That's, that's good entertainment. Pray? Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Doesn't even cost. Come to church? Have a little gasoline, but boy, you get to come and praise God together. Sit at the table. It's worth it. It's good. All these things, and you just live for God with your life wherever you're at now. And let's pray, and let's go to this table and keep living our Christian life out as we even engage in that wonderful act of worship of receiving from the Lord at his table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your dealing with people. Thank you that uh, for so many of us, we can say you're dealing with us now as your people and not as your enemies. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for making us your friend. And thank you for what you do for us in our life. And Lord, thank you for loving us even when we uh, slip into fear. Thank you for not holding our past against us. Thank you for uh, what you have for us for the rest of our days on earth. And thank you for that place uh, called heaven where you're bringing all of your people to. We long for that day. And we also are excited for this day because we get to walk our Christian life with you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.